For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast by Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 38, the Saban Lee episode. Lee was originally drafted as the 38th pick out of Vanderbilt by the Detroit Pistons in 2020, but the Phoenix native now is fortunate enough to have earned a spot on the Suns roster back in his hometown. And speaking of homes, the 48 Minutes podcast is thrilled to have Bet Online be the proud sponsor of the podcast and your home to all sports bets. BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. Bet online is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options in your favorite casino and card games. You can play right from your own home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on all the action. Be sure to use our promo code, Believe, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. And with that, let's get to our opening tip, fellas. Bruce, how about you start us off? All right. And uh, that's Believe, spelled B-L-E-A-V, in case you're going to use that code, whatever. Absolutely, um, yeah. Believe it or not. Uh, anyway, Draymond Green <laughs> and Dylan Brooks have been examples of players whose behavior during the postseason have been detrimental to their teams. Green was suspended for Game 3 of the Warriors-Kings series after stomping on DeMontis Sabonis' torso in Game 2, while Brooks was ejected from Game 3 of the Lakers-Grizzly series for doing to LeBron James what Draymond did to LeBron James in the 2016 Finals. Well, now we can add DeJounte Murray to the list of players whose antics are hurting their team when he bumped a referee after losing game four to the Celtics and falling behind in the series three games to one on Sunday. Murray has been brilliant in the series against the Celtics. He's played some of his best ball of the season when the team needed him most, but he's suspended for game five for his reckless behavior, and now the series will probably end on Tuesday night in Boston. He needed to be there for the Hawks to have any chance of extending the series, and now he won't be. At least in Draymond's case, he saw how great Kevon Looney played in his absence, and he told Coach Steve Kerr, hey, you should start Looney instead of me in Game 4. It was exactly the opposite of how he acted in Game 2, and honestly, it has to be commended. You know, well done there, Draymond. But barring a miracle win by the Hawks on Tuesday, Murray is not going to have the chance to redeem himself like Draymond Green did. Well said there, Bruce. And yeah, such a head scratcher there by Jajante Murray to lose his cool to the point to where he's going to obviously have to miss a game now with his unprofessional behavior there. And uh, 
It's a shame to see. World B. Thank you, Ross. Ime Yudoku, Yudoka, excuse me, is getting a second chance at being the head coach, this time reportedly agreeing to become the Rockets' next man in charge. Whatever you think he deserves, whatever you think about his uh, situation with the Celtics, given the circumstances of his departure after one season and an NBA Finals appearance, that's for another time to be discussed, and maybe we can get into it once he finally uh, ends up talking about the situation, which he'll probably have to do at some point once he becomes a Rockets coach. But for now, I want to focus on the fact that Yudoku, Yudoka is about to enter a situation ridiculously different than the one he left behind in Boston. While he came into a situation last season with a highly successful team, the Rockets were arguably the league's worst team this season. Yudoka inherited all-stars like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown with Boston. His new team hasn't had an all-star in three seasons. A season ago, the Celtics were the league's best defensive team. This season, the Rockets were the league's second-worst defensive team. His coaching ability was rarely, if ever, questioned during his lone season in Beantown. Unfair or not, that will likely change once he ends up in Houston. Yeah, it's going to be a very big change for Udoka there as, uh, you know, that's a Rockets team that doesn't have a lot of discipline. They got a lot of immature players, raw players at that, and uh, his work's cut out for him there, but we wish him the best of luck. As for my opening tip, I want to discuss Joel Embiid's injury. Of course, Joel Embiid suffered a sprained LCL in his right knee in game four of the first round, and the 76ers are reportedly expecting him back anywhere between one to two weeks uh, as far as recovery time is concerned. So if my math's correct, it's been about a week since he went down with that injury, which means he's got another week ahead of him. As Bruce pointed pointed out, DeJounte Murray is obviously likely going to miss the, or for sure is missing the next game and the the Hawks will likely lose. So that second round matchup is going to start here fairly soon. And on top of that, I have concerns about maybe, uh, how Joel Embiid can hold up moving forward. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's 7-2, a guy that doesn't have a very good injury track record. When he has missed time, he's missed parts or most of many seasons. So I'm concerned now if I'm a Philly fan. I mean, without Joel Embiid, I'm sorry. The the Sixers are, are, are a good team with him, but they're not that good without him. So they really have no other options at the, the five-man position. Going to go up against teams like Boston, even New York Knicks would be a huge problem for them uh, should that come a time in the matchup. So uh, keep an eye on Joel Embiid. Hopefully everything will check out just fine with him. Um, but I, I, I've got my questions moving forward after this sustained injury. And with that, let's go ahead and get right to our first quarter as we have breaking news as the Miami Heat defeated the Milwaukee Bucks in game four of the first round matchup. Giannis was back in the fold tonight and uh, – Still fell short. Jimmy Butler had 56 points, and uh, the Bucks actually outscored the Heat in each of the first three quarters. But Miami turned it on late there behind Jimmy Butler's 56, score, outscoring the Bucks 41 to 25. And uh, Bruce, I'm going to start with you. I know that we just watched this game together, at least the final couple of minutes. What was your big takeaway in those closing minutes? Well, I mean, you know. Miami had a closing kick 
and Milwaukee didn't have a closing kick. Uh, 41-25 in the fourth quarter. Um, it's a 48-minute game. I mean, after three quarters, it kind of looked like, you know, the Bucks kind of have this thing under control. Brooke Lopez had an excellent offensive game tonight uh, or, or Monday night. You know, he ended up with uh, 36 points. I mean, Brooke Lopez hasn't had a 36-point game in a really long time. Uh, and Giannis, coming back off the injury, played well. He had a triple-double, 26, 10, and 13. But um, Chris Middleton gave him next to nothing. Drew Holiday, as much as I love the guy, had another off night for them. And I think, you know, I far be it for me to second-guess Mike Budenholzer, but I'm wondering, should they have maybe not gambled letting Giannis sit out two games, maybe tried to see if he could give him something in one of them, so that they wouldn't have lost, you know, two straight down there. But, uh, boy, I mean, it, you know, it ain't over till it's over. But uh, Miami is looking like a, the team that's going to come out of this series ahead. Will be? Well, I'm not ready to put uh, dirt on the Bucks just yet, but they certainly have put themselves in a, a terrible spot here. And that guy went three in a row, and you got to come to Miami again and do it, which they haven't – you know, haven't done yet. Um, Jimmy Butler was amazing tonight. A Jimmy Butler game in every sense of the word. Never mind a career high. Just seven shy of the all-time NBA playoff record with his 56. I mean, he did it outside with three three-pointers. He did it at the free throw line, which is where he uh, where he lives, 15 of 18. And he was 16 of 20 inside the three-point line. I mean, he did whatever he wanted. He got started with uh, – 22 points in the first quarter. I mean, but they still weren't able to, you know, get ahead. It was just Butler and nobody else. And I know we can talk. We talked about before we went on about the Bucks defense. They were so great defensively during the season. And then you give up all this to the Miami Heat, which was one of the worst offensive teams. They were the worst, least efficient offensive team in this postseason field. And they come ahead and they've just absolutely done the job uh, throughout the series against the Bucs. My issue is with uh, Milwaukee's offense. I mean, you know, 114 points, well, it really wasn't down the stretch. They scored a couple of late baskets. They really have trouble uh, playing 48 minutes of offense, and that's been their problem all season on the offensive end. Hey, Ross, I have a question for you. What were your your thoughts? I mean, we kind of talked about this before we came on the air, but I wanted to just kind of tee you up and get your thoughts on the fact that while Jimmy Butler was going absolutely nuts in, in this game, Jay Crowder never took his warm-ups off. I mean, what were your thoughts about that? I mean, he's a guy who can play some defense, and they're around the same height. Yeah, I mean, my first thought was that he was about as productive as Will B was in this game, both logging zero minutes. But uh, outside of that, I was pretty surprised at the fact that, you know, he didn't even sniff the court here tonight. You know, we talked about the defensive concerns of Milwaukee here with uh, the one-man wrecking crew and Jimmy Butler going off for 56 points. I mean, you'd think you would at some point turn to Jay Crowder, a former teammate of Jimmy Butler's at Marquette, to see whether or not he could maybe be a disruptor out there. And, uh, you know, I'm just surprised. Javon Carter, another guy known for his defense. You know, doesn't match up with Jimmy per se, but he can help off the ball, obviously pressure guys in the backcourt like Gabe Vincent. He played one minute. So what really makes me curious in this one from the Bucks standpoint is the fact that we talked about how much they struggled defending Jimmy Butler. 
obviously giving up all those points in the fourth quarter. And arguably, two of their probably top four defenders didn't play in the game. And Javon Carter and Jay Crowder, at least off the bench, those are their best two defenders. And, you know, neither of them really got any action here tonight. And, uh, you know, it was a must-win game. The Bucs had the lead. As I mentioned, uh, the Bucs had outscored the Heat in each of the first three quarters. You'd think you'd maybe turn to your defense a little bit uh, just to kind of uh, keep things under control there. But, uh, yeah, I, again, we, we, we've talked about it on the last podcast. We'll talk about it here again tonight. They gave up, you know, some assets to acquire Jay Crowder. It was really the only move they made at the deadline as far as a notable one. And uh, for him not to play tonight was quite a surprise. You know, what? what's really, you know, we think we know the game and we do know the game. We study it. We're, you know, we watch it. We know what's going on. But during the regular season, Miami as a team basically was one of the lowest scoring teams in the entire NBA, whereas Milwaukee was one of the premier defensive teams in the entire NBA. Completely turned the table so far in this series. Miami is scoring more points per game than any playoff team, period. And there's 16 of them. And Milwaukee's defense is pretty much rock bottom. And we've really kind of forgotten the fact that one of Miami's three 20-point scorers, Tyler Hero, has been not even a part of this the last few games. So it's a – I mean, look, we've all dis discussed our respect for Eric Spolstra as a coach. Maybe this might be – peak Eric Spolstra when it comes to moving the pieces around on the chessboard and getting whatever he needs his team to do to win. Yeah, I had well, talked about, obviously, this Miami Heat team forcing teams to, to, to be sloppy. They love sloppy games. That's exactly what we saw down the stretch in this one. They were forcing turnovers, getting easy buckets off steals. Um, they capitalized on those opportunities. And uh, what's concerning for the Bucks too, I mean, give credit to the Miami Heat, but, you know, I'm not sure about you guys, but Giannis definitely surpassed my expectations in his return game. He had a triple-double, 12-22 from the field. Uh, he did have the six turnovers, which goes back to them forcing you to play some sloppy basketball. But, you know, they got a, they got a decent game from Giannis and still fell short. So, uh, Will B, I'll let you take over. Well, I mean, not only that, they got an unbelievable game from Brooke Lopez, who completely dominated yeah. in the middle, 36-11. and 11. I mean, he couldn't be stopped in there, and uh, probably the best game of his uh, professional career in the playoffs, I would think. And, you know, getting back to their defense, I mean, I mentioned their offensive issues, but you have a Miami team that was bottom five in three-point field goal percentage during the season. Two years ago, they were number one, and they dropped all considerably this year to the point where they were bottom five. They're leading all playoffs in three-point shooting, and they shot 41% tonight from three. It's just without Tyler Hero. So yeah. there's a lot of I, – like I said, I'm not ready to uh, put dirt on, on the Bucks just yet, but they have to make some major, major adjustments at both ends if they want to pull this out. And probably – probably I agree with you guys. Probably starts at the defensive end in trying to figure out, obviously, a way to slow down Jimmy Butler. But you know what? The Bucks were in this hole a couple years ago too. And they were going to get, you know, and Coach Bud was getting a lot of criticism in the um, in the NBA Finals when they fell behind, and they were able to bounce back, or fell behind in the uh, playoffs too, and they were able to bounce back. They were a resilient bunch, and I'm not ready to, you know, call it a season for them, but yeah, they have some major adjustments to do. 
Game five is Wednesday, Ross. What are you looking for there? I mean, I think uh, I think the Bucks will win it. I think the good thing going for the Bucks here is it's now one one one. So you play in Milwaukee, go back to Miami, and then if they're able to win in in Miami, they they send the series for Game Seven back home to Milwaukee. So in that regard, glass half full. You know, you still got two home games if it does get extended for the full three. Um, but it's all or nothing. I think obviously Giannis is going to play forty plus minutes. Uh, Drew Holiday is going to probably play like 44 minutes. Uh, their backs are against the wall, and I would expect to see some adjustments with uh, uh, the rotation and obviously some of the defensive schemes. I think you got to make this the rest of the Miami bunch beat you. I mean, you look at the box score tonight. Jimmy Butler had 56. Next highest guy was Bam with 15. Third highest came off the bench, Cody Martin, who had a late uh, – Late performance there. He had 12 points, hit some big shots down the stretch. But outside of that, like, I mean, we talked about it with a team that doesn't have Tyler Hero. I mean, let these other guys beat you. You got to get the ball out of Jimmy's hands. By the way, we talk about, we thought, you know, we weren't sure what how competitive this would be. We thought when Miami coming in, you guys thought maybe it would be competitive because of Miami's re- resiliency and their toughness. And I wasn't so sure just because of their numbers didn't really equate to the kind of team that we've come to know from from the Heat. But, I mean, we're not beyond competitive, you know, talking about competitive. They are clearly the better team in this series. And it's not – it's really not close at both ends of the court. I mean, it's 3-1, to one, and it's really convincingly Miami 3-1. to one. To win one and to blow them out in Milwaukee in game one and come back here with a great comeback and put up the points that they're putting up – they have clearly established themselves as the better team in this series. And it's going to take some work to do for Milwaukee to get back in it. That's right. And with that, let's go ahead and get to our second quarter here. And as I did suggest by sharing Pat Riley's famous playoff quote, a series doesn't start until the home team loses. Let's discuss the Warriors and Kings who uh, continue to be peak entertainment here. But as we still wait, you know, we're still waiting for this series to start. Both teams are undefeated at home. It's tied 2-2, and it's now a best-of-three series with two home games remaining for the Beam team. And, uh, Bruce, what are your what's your thoughts on the series out west? We said going in that this was the series we'd be most likely to remember for years to come, right? And it really has not disappointed. It's had a little bit of everything and a lot of excitement. It's such a shame that those of us who live on the East Coast have to stay up so, so late to watch these weeknight games, you know. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, and we're going to talk about him in a minute, he's been unbelievable. I mean, 38-9-5 and in 40 minutes on Sunday. He hit that huge three near the end of game four. But somewhere during that game, he fractured a finger on his shooting hand, and his status is sort of up in the air for for game uh, five on Wednesday. And while I've read doubtful, it's like he broke that finger somewhere before he hit that shot at the end. So I don't know, maybe, maybe, you know, he's going to be okay to play. I mean, he can, you know, still handle it. I know because he's, you know, ambidextrous with the ball, but um, if he's not able to be Aaron, Aaron Fox, then I think the Warriors just caught this enormous break. Will be. Yeah. I mean, the play in question, if you uh, follow along on the internet or whatever, the the potential play that caused him was really a fluke play. It was after following a foul, and he was just going uh, to the 
throw a layup in there, and Kevon Looney kind of slapped at the ball and got a bit of his hand. It looked like I don't. Nobody knows for sure if that's the play, but it appears to be the situation. Yeah, it would be a really uh, disappointing uh, injury to happen at any time, but certainly in a series like this, which has lived up to the hype, and you rarely get first round series that are this exciting. Certainly not since they've gone to seven games. Uh, mem- you know, memorable. It was going to be memorable coming in. It's lived up to the hype to this point. They've been fun. You're right. Uh, Darren Fox has been everything everybody's wanted. He's been the guy, the star of stars in the playoffs right now for him, especially in the fourth quarter. Scoring at least 24 points in all four games. Uh, Keegan Murray game finally gave him something in the uh, in game four with uh, 23 points and five threes. He hadn't hit anything on three-point range until then. And, you know, the, the Kings, they're it's tied and they're having a you know good series and stuff. They're not really shooting the ball particularly well from the perimeter, just 30% or so from three-point range. I expected a little bit more, um, a little bit better from, from them. So we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, so far it's been a lot of fun. And Bruce is right. It's, it's tough to stay up that late, but it certainly is worth it if you're on the East Coast. Going into game five with De'Aaron Fox listed as doubtful, um, I'm going to call BS on that. I think he's definitely going to play in this one. You know, it's the fractured tip of his left index finger. So the bad news here is that is his shooting hand because he is a left-handed player. So definitely important to keep that in mind. But I fully expect him to go ahead and tape two of his fingers together, give it a go. Obviously, he might uh, have some troubles shooting the basketball, but as far as taking care of the basketball, I think they're definitely going to need him out there on the floor kind of directing things and getting the, the Kings into their sets. And, I mean, worst-case scenario, he gets outlet of the ball and he pushes it ahead, as they like to do most of the time anyway. Um, and I know I'm stating the obvious here, but Malik Monk's going to have to step up. I think if one thing De'Aaron Fox doesn't bring to the table is, like I said, shooting – He's got to have a good game shooting. He struggled on the road uh, in Golden State shooting the basketball. They're going to need another epic performance like they got in game one from Malik Monk offensively to kind of help carry the load uh, for this Kings team. And uh, also want to point out uh, during the season, the Kings were four and five without Fox this year. So keep that in mind, almost about 500 basketball. And uh, much like the Bucks, if we're going to keep a glass half full approach, they've got two, two games on their home floor. Uh, and just one road game. So hopefully they can handle business selfishly. You know, I'm hoping the Kings can win this one. You know, in game four, uh, I mentioned at the top in my opening comment that Draymond, after watching Kevon Looney, you know, do such a great job in game three while he was suspended, uh, he told Kerr, you know, start him. But Draymond was right back at it in game four. I mean, he came off the bench. He was defending. He was playing aggressively. He was helping the team win a close game. No doubt that the guy is flawed, but he is also the emotional engine of that team. He's a Swiss Army knife. And between Green and Kevon Looney, here were their combined numbers in game four. 20 points, 24 rebounds, 13 assists, and just three turnovers in 63 combined minutes. So, I mean, it was a total team effort, but those two guys uh, were right near the front of the line along with the Splash Brothers. I'll tell you something, Bruce and Ross. It's really good to see Green come off the bench because they really need bench help. 
the starters for Golden State, the lineup of Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, Wiggins, and Kevon Looney have absolutely been dominating when they're on the court together. They're outscoring the Kings by almost 26 points per 100 possession while they're on the court together in this series. That's ridiculous offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. They just haven't gotten much from the bench production-wise. So, you know, having Green come off the bench, providing that spark, like you said, uh, defensively, and facilitating the offense the way he can when he's, you know, got it going on. He's still showing that he's uh, a upper-level player in this league despite his age and his, uh, you know, wear and tear on the tire because, you know, guy like Jerry Green is going to, it's got a lot of wear and tear on his tires over the years with the work he's put in. Uh, you know, Steph Curry's is doing his thing too with 31 a game and 40% from downtown. He had the, the minor meltdown there at the end. It uh, darn near cost him, but uh, which was a, really a weird situation. You don't expect that from, from well, really from anybody, but um, certainly not from Steph. So, you know, if you're, I told you, I've been telling for, for a while, it's all going to matter. Like you said about Pat Riley's quote, can the can the Warriors win on the road? They got to do one of yep. them to win this series. And if Fox, he's going to play. I agree. His effectiveness is is obviously we'll have to wait and see on it. But I like. Yeah. I think he's tough enough to get beyond the court with your just with that injury, like you said. It's just a matter of he can you know if it, how much it impacts his shooting. And he hasn't been shooting. You know, overall, if you look at the numbers. He hasn't been shooting that great for the series. His three-point shooting has been a little off. His field goal percentage is a little off. It's been great in the fourth, but for the whole game and the whole series, it just hasn't been there yet. So hopefully for us as fans, for our sake, you know, he comes back and is as healthy as can be to make keep this series going really you know, the way it has been. Hey, Ross, you know, one guy uh, that will need to step up, uh, Trey Lyles. He had a really good game one. He had 16 points in game one. But the next three games combined, 40 total minutes played, two for 13 shooting, one for nine on threes, seven total points. He's going to need to be in double figures if they have a shot at winning game five, I, I believe. Totally agree there, Bruce. That's a good call on Lyles. Another guy that I have my eye on that I think Mike Brown should uh, – throw off the bench as a wrinkle to what he's done thus far is uh, go ahead and go to small ball five Chemezi Metsu. That's a guy that had a pretty good season for this Kings team. Hasn't sniffed the court in the playoffs thus far. I think he's played like a combined three minutes and I think it was game three, but you know, throw a wrinkle, a new look at this Warriors team. He brings some athleticism and uh, you know, if Lyles can't step up, maybe he takes over at the four, but um, you know, I think replacing Len as the uh, backup five could also be an option there as well. So hoping Metu could get some get some floor time. I think he's obviously going to bring a little bit more shooting and some athleticism around the rim that, you know, Alex Len is just OK at. I mean, the expectations for Alex Len were quite low, as expected, and he's played pretty good based on he's lived up we to those expectations. <laughs> yeah, that. he's lived up to those. But I think, you know. <laughs> If, if we could get Chemezi Meto out there, I just don't know how he was part of this uh, fantastic season for the Kings during the regular season, and now we haven't seen him. 
Uh, obviously, Mike Brown's smarter than than I am and we are as far as his own team, but uh, we'd like to see him get a chance out there. And with that, let's go ahead and talk about uh, the other series out west and really focus in on one guy, and that is Dylan Brooks's nonsense. And Bruce, I'll let you take it from here. You know, Dylan Brooks spoke to the media on Sunday and in an amazing demonstration of lack of self-awareness, here's what he had to say about the reputation that he has now developed. Back right. Hey, Jason. Uh, that back and forth with a... Shoot. Wrong bite. Sorry, let's try that again. I don't know if I can edit that or not. Oh. Shoot. All You're right. good. We'll, we'll Let's try it going. again. <laughs> Let's try okay. it again. The media are making me a villain. The fans are making me a villain. And then that just creates a whole different persona on me. So now you think I intended to hit LeBron James in the nuts. I'm playing basketball, basketball player. So if I intended, and that's whatever the whatever is in the fragment two, um, uh, category of having a fragment too. And you think I did that? That means you think I'm that type of person. You're showing us. So, well, Ross, you you had you had a thought on the back end of that. Sorry, uh, listeners, for butchering that. But uh, go ahead, Ross. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I, he said, "Then you think I'm that type of person?" Well, World B nicely laid out what kind of person he was. So I want to start with you, World B. That was your closing thoughts on the last show. So what's your big takeaway from? Uh, that soundbite. Uh, it's a surprise, and it's not a surprise, <laughs> given the person. I mean, you don't expect somebody to um, make himself the center of attention, but in both nights, and one time he wants it, the next time he doesn't want it. You know, it doesn't work that way in this in this world. You you crave the attention when you showed up in the locker room with sunglasses and proclaimed yourself to be, you know, all everything defense and this. And then when you pull a stunt like this, it's not your fault. Like, you know, there is some accountability. And the fact of the matter is, you know, you put all the silliness aside, he hasn't done the job on the court. No. Let's just, you know, if he could do the job on the court, it'd be a different story. However, he's just shooting 25% from three-point range. He's only shooting 24% outside the paint. So, you know, if you can't hit a quarter of your shots outside the paint, you're really not much of an impact offensively. And then, you know, the great defense that he's supposed to be bringing with LeBron, 82 possessions in this series. He's been the defender on LeBron James. LeBron has 36, 33 points on 61% shooting when Brooks is on him. Well, at some point you got to be quiet and just do either do the job better on, on the court so you can talk a little bit, or just be quiet and just, you know, go sit in the corner until somebody calls on you. Bruce, what, were you, what was your big takeaway from that? Well, I mean, Dylan Brooks is just, you know, we talked about this the other night. Swagger has to be earned. Swagger yeah. is not given. If, if you're a big talker and you're not delivering, you don't have swag. You're just a punk. And that's kind of where I'm at with Dylan Brooks at this point. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. I I just have lost a lot of respect for this Grizzlies team. They feel like they've made it without really making anything. Um, I'd like to see them uh, 
speak with their actions and not just with their words after games, especially when they're not showing up in the box scores. There's nothing to point to right now to where it's like we should be talking all this smack. So, you know, not even a Lakers fan here, and I'm really pulling for the Lakers to just go ahead and win this series just with how much they've received some undeserved disrespect on behalf of the Memphis Grizzlies. You think you think John Morant, you think John Morant thinks that, you know, he's mistaken the Lakers for the Celtics cuz you know, this season <laughs> that was the team the only team it. he feared <laughs> and you know, he's he's they they don't do things a little better here. They're not going to see uh round 2. Yeah, great point there will be. And uh with that we've reached our halftime buzzer, so we're going to take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. And we're back here with our third quarter. Let's stay out west here and talk Clippers Suns. No Kawhi, no problem for Phoenix. And we'll be all let you lead us off. Yeah, uh, it's been uh it's been an interesting series, I'd say. It's really I feel bad for the Clippers, just so shorthanded. Uh there's really not much they can do. Uh the, the one positive from the Clipperland is uh, Russell Westbrook's reputation has gone, taken a major improvement in this series because he's had to do everything for this team. And he's, and he's just about done it. I mean, you know, you got, I gave him you know, a bunch of garbage after game one because of his antics, uh, you know, talking to the Phoenix fan there in the, you know, under the tunnel and stuff, and, you know, called him Mr. Sensitivity and all that silliness. But you know what? On the court, you give him his props. He is outstanding the last three games, and particularly the two games in L.A. I mean, he's played 80 minutes in two games for a guy that was coming off the bench for most of the season when he was with the Lakers. And when he's on you know, those two games in L.A., they were almost 30 points better per 100 possessions offensively when he was on the court than he was when he was off. Now, the scale is a little different because he played so much. The drop-off isn't that significant. But you can see when he's not on the court with those – and there's no Kawhi and there's no Paul George, I mean, it's a – you know, they're a, a lottery team, really. And and it's really bad because there's really nothing they can do about it. There just, there just isn't with that lineup. Chris? You know, the Suns are just feasting with Kawhi out. Um, and he's not going to play game five now either. He's been uh, ruled out for game five. So, I mean, that, that one looks, you know, like it's as good as over. But it really brings back the whole load management debate. I mean, look, Marcus Morris yeah. is a very capable backup, but he's no Kawhi Leonard. He was minus 19 in 25 minutes on Sunday, worst on the team. But here's the thing, and I've heard this discussed a lot in recent days. The load management thing is kind of a double-edged sword, right, in that, if you did load management all this season and you're still having this problem with him missing important games, is the load management a strategy that's really not a good strategy? Because a lot of you know people feel, and Ross, you 
been around pro teams on a daily basis, and you can probably speak to this a little bit. Um, when players are used to kind of playing in a certain rhythm, whether it's two games a week or, you know, five games in two weeks or something like that, their body gets in a certain sink. And when you disrupt that and stop and start, so to speak, that some people feel that's detrimental to guys and it almost has uh, the potential to cause them to be injured even more. I mean, what, what, what is your thought on that? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would tend to agree. I think uh, bodies definitely get into a, a habit uh, of playing and kind of reacting to different workloads. If they're consistent, obviously uh, you talk about, being in sync, that hasn't been something that Kawhi's had ever since joining the Clippers. So it's been quite a few years here where he's been out of sync. And, um, you know, unfortunately for, for the Clippers and their fans, I mean, I feel terrible for this guy, for, for the fan base. I mean, this is just not a great look moving forward. As good of, as Kawhi is healthy, we've seen it this playoffs already, how, how tremendous he can be as one of the top players in the league. If he's not able to even do it for a seven game series, I mean, I, I just can't I just can't put him up there. And I think a lot of that has to do with the load management. So I think that is a little bit of a double edged sword, as you suggested there, Bruce. I think, you know, you got to have a rhythm with your body. You got to have a rhythm with uh, your playing time and, and what your body's going through on a night to night basis. And, you know, he's never had that. And, uh, you know, having never been in sync uh, with this team, you know, of course, these guys know how to play without Kawhi. The problem is Paul George is out too, and they're not used to not having both of those guys on the floor. And uh, obviously that's what we're seeing now. Norman Powell was big in game three, despite falling up short. He had like 40 something points. He laid an egg the other night, couldn't get to shoot uh, the shot to fall down for him. And uh, I think this one's going to be over on Tuesday uh, in Phoenix. I think the, the Suns will go ahead and put them to bed as they should, because even in that game, uh, game four win in Los Angeles, uh, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker both played over 40 minutes. Chris Paul played 38. And as I've said, and I will continue to say, they need to continue to watch how many minutes those guys are playing as we, we, we do know that they've had some injuries here recently and are obviously, in Katie and Chris Paul's case, getting older. So they need to keep those miles down. Something, something to remember about what you just said there. Their starting lineup, the the uh, Paul Booker Durant Aiton and Torrey Craig have played more minutes in this postseason so far, eighty four, than any other five player lineup in the playoffs for any team. Wow! So they're put it's all on the starters in this series for Phoenix, and they're doing the job. Obviously, you go up three one, just like you say. But they played more minutes that group than anybody else as you know five any five player lineup. Uh, I. And with you guys, I I just with the lineup they have to put out there, I just don't see how the Clippers can do it. That being said, Ty Lue's been in this position before against a much tougher opponent than than Phoenix, and of course he he had LeBron James back then, so that yeah. helped a little. Uh, Maybe so a little. I wouldn't I would yeah a little bit. So I wouldn't <laughs> uh, completely dismiss him, but it's not looking good. You know, Chris Paul is absolutely balling right now you know how much it has to mean to him to do this against his old team the Clippers where he was there for years and that team always sort of was really good but fell short of success in the postseason on Sunday 19 points four rebounds 
nine assists, zero turnovers, okay, in 38 minutes, all right, as you mentioned. he And he was a team best plus 22. But as you mentioned, I think from here on out, I think the Suns are probably going to be able to finish this series off without having to get huge minutes out of those guys because they're going to need that energy when they go up against Denver, especially, you know, in the altitude because Denver's just cruising. They're going to probably win their series in five. Uh, and so the Suns want to win their series in five too. And if at all possible, not overtax, especially Chris Paul um, in, in, you know, whatever number of games it takes him to finish off the Clippers, which should just be one. Yeah, and Bruce, you mentioned uh, Chris Paul's stat line there. You failed to mention that it looked like the the Grizzlies scorekeeper was actually at the Clippers game because Chris Paul also had a Jaron a Jaron Jackson Jr. like performance: three steals and three blocks. I'm not sure the last time Chris Paul had three blocks, but uh, I mean, very Jaron Jackson like on the defensive end. So kudos <laughs> to you, CP3. Keep balling. Here's another. Here's another stat on on CP3. I uh, was able to figure out. He hasn't his numbers. He hasn't been, had the greatest shooting series overall, but in the last four seconds of a shot clock, as we've seen it, he's bailed him out so many times when the shot clock has wound down. In the last four seconds, he's shooting fifty percent from the field, fifty percent from three. All the other times, like a forty percent shooter. So he's and it's it's it sounds a little silly, but you also think about all right the the offense bogs down. They need the ball to get up there in the last couple of seconds. And he takes you know shot and he's making them at, you know, half the time, which is very rare in the NBA to be a shooter that you know that high percentage with the shot clock running down. It's usually a desperation, which he took in game uh, four and and made one that really yeah. uh, drew a laugh out of him and really sealed the deal for the Suns. Yep. And with that, let's go ahead and get to our fourth quarter here. I know uh, World B is itching to talk about his New York Knickerbockers. So, uh, World B, I'm not going to say much more. I'm going to let you go ahead and uh, tee us off here. Can we cut his mic? Can we just cut his mic? No, okay, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of the Cavaliers, uh, the – but we said, I said during this during the series of other podcasts, the Knicks have clearly established themselves as a better team throughout the whole season over Cleveland. They're now six and two combined regular season and uh, and the playoffs. Uh, their defense, you know, they were a top ten offense during the regular season. Their defense has really carried the load for them in this series. It's been great, except for the one uh, clunker which they lost in uh, game two. But you know, overall. They are in in the three wins. They're giving up less than a point per possession to Cleveland, which was really, uh, really impressive for them. My favorite Nick of all time, one or one of my favorite Nicks, RJ Barrett, <laughs> is making me eat my words at every single game, and I don't mind a bit. Have uh, you bought was, a jersey yet? I have not. I, no. I will uh, a couple more runs like this, and I'll have to consider it. Uh, I'll have to find if I go out there, I'll have to get a Jerome James jersey because he is my all time (laughs) uh, favorite Nick. Not, Uh, you know, RJ really, uh, really doing the job. He's been very impressed with the way he's been able to take the ball to the hole and, you know, scoring 22 a night, 23 over the, you know, two games at the Garden. Uh, Jalen Brunson finally started to hit some shots and, you know, they're doing it without Julius Randle. Really, I don't know if his ankle is really bothering him or he's just having another meltdown in the series, but he's really not 
shooting the ball at all, and he's not even seeing the court in crunch time with the fact that they're down the starter in Quentin Grimes. Randall still doesn't see the court in, in, um, down the stretch the other night, and he's not going to if, if you can't shoot the ball better. I was wondering if you were going to deliver some flowers to R.J. Barrett. In fact, I had written that down in my notes. I mean, his numbers, you know, each game he's increased his scoring from 7 to 14 to 19 to 26, you know. Um, and, you know, you covered a lot of the ground that I was going to cover, so I'm not going to repeat the same thing. But here's the point. The Knicks are playing 48 minutes. The Cavaliers are not playing 48 minutes. On Sunday, New York won three of the four quarters, and the Cavs only seemed to come alive in the third quarter. But in the first, second, and fourth, the Knicks were just like, you know, you know, just, you know, outclassing them. And as for Randall, I'm going to give him some credit. He can't be healthy. He's battling the injuries. His shooting numbers are terrible, 32% field goals, 25% from downtown. All his stats are down, but he's out there grinding Kawhi Leonard. He's out there for his team. He's not, you can see he's not right, but he's there for the team. And therefore he earns respect from me. And as far as, you know, the other edges that I see, I mean, the Knicks bench has totally outclassed the Cavaliers bench. I mean, it's not even been close. And I'm wondering, is JB Bickerstaff going to consider like dusting off Lamar Stevens in the next game? Because that guy is actually pretty good. I watched him single-handedly destroy the Celtics in a game earlier this season. And considering how they've gotten really nothing from their bench, let the dude take off his warm-ups, you know, go down trying something different at least. He's a young guy with some energy. You win that game, now all of a sudden you're putting in a little pressure on the Knicks. So, uh, But I'm I'm not really feeling that from JB. I think he's been outcoached considerably by, by Thibodeau in this series. Yeah, and I, I think the New York Knicks smell blood at this point. I know that there were chants outside the Garden after their big game four win, Knicks in five. I think it's going to be Knicks in five. So, uh, will be your prediction of Knicks in three wasn't that far off. So, uh, congrats <laughs> to you. You're you're right on the money there. Here's a here's a couple of things too. Uh, JB Bakersdale is getting a lot of a lot of grief for his coaching, and I'm not going to sit here and and give him the coach of the year award or whatever, but he made a really good adjust adjustment in uh, game four in the second half on Sunday, when he went and double teamed off the, off the screen and they started to really, they got back in the, in the game by forcing Brunson to a bunch of turnovers. That was an adjustment they made to start the second half. And it really changed things around, made New York really a mess and forced Thibodeau to make some adjustments there. But in actuality, I mean, Donovan Mitchell is really off this series. Uh, and you know, honestly, Cleveland has just two quarters where they've really done the job in this series out of 16 quarters. They've really only had two really good quarters. It was the second quarter of game two when they blew out the Knicks on their way to the game two win. And then the third quarter on Sunday when they were getting whooped and Darius Garland just brought him back with an unbelievable performance. Very, uh, Jimmy Butler, like in, you know, to use a Monday term, um, with his performance in third quarter on Sunday was really impressive. But other than that, it's really been the Knicks every quarter of the series. So I got to ask where we'll be here. Just a a early look at the Knicks potential pathway to a finals appearance. Of course, the Miami heat. I get to do that. Oh, that's great. (laughs) The Miami heat are up three to one. So, you know, there's a potential 
Miami Heat second round dance that uh, that would look pretty favorably to the New York Knicks, in my opinion. And then if Boston were to move on, you'd play them in the Eastern Conference Finals. You beat them three three out of four times this season. I mean, has that crossed your mind yet? Let me tell you something. <laughs> Nothing has crossed my mind as far beyond this series. Uh, it really hasn't. I haven't looked at. I haven't looked ahead or whatever uh, because I I remember 1997. Every Knicks fan who's still old enough to remember that series that changed when PJ Brown gave Charlie Ward a nice little flip and you know the whole series just you know unraveled after that. Uh I I'm very happy the way things going. I told you I think when uh, Kevin Winter was on with us and asked if I would consider the Knicks season a failure if they didn't get out of the first round. I said yes. Uh I think they had to advance out of there and to this point they're clearly the better team but they they you know it would be in their best interest to win in Cleveland in game five because the pressure suddenly falls back on the Knicks. The Knicks have, you know, let's see if the Knicks can actually respond to the big time pressure in the garden with a chance to clinch uh, in game six. If, you know, if they, if it comes to that, um, a Knicks heat series would be outstanding for, for this Knicks fan. It would certainly generate a lot of buzz in the NBA and it would really, uh, create a lot of interest if, if such a thing were to occur be, just because of the history of the two franchises. Would they if award the, the, a Pat Riley trophy to the winner of that series? Yeah. No, but I don't think we'd see any 80, 79 games either. So we're, we're, we're well beyond that. It's a rivalry, but it's a different era for the rivalry. That's for sure. I'll, I'll say this. If the Knicks beat the Cavaliers and the Bucks beat, or the, the Heat beat the Bucks. My NBA playoff bracket starting to look a lot like my March Madness bracket. I can tell you that. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> and with that, let's go ahead and get into our best bets presented by betonline.ag, your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. And tonight I want to share my favorite player prop currently going, and that is Rui Hachimura of the Los Angeles Lakers, plus 155 to score at least 15 points. Shocked that the number is at what it's at at the sports book because he scored at least 16 points or more in each game so far this series. So go ahead and take a look at that on betonline.ag for Rui Hachimura to score at least 15 points. And if you like a same game parlay and you want a quick and simple one, go ahead and add in Dennis Schroeder to score just two points, which is usually made available as well. So that is tonight's Bets Bets presented by betonline.ag. And uh, instead of a final thought here tonight, I thought we'd go ahead and chime in about uh, the two teams that are up 3-1 and, and talk about who you guys think are the most impressive. Has it been the, Den the Denver Nuggets or the Boston Celtics? Bruce? Uh, as you mentioned, both series uh, are 3-1 in their favor. Both teams are 2-0 at home, 1-1 away. Boston is putting up uh, second most points of any team in the playoffs behind Miami, a little over 120. Uh, and their defense is also in the top five, uh, giving up just under 100. Uh, actually, I take that back. Uh, Denver's defense is in the top five, giving up just under 105. Boston definitely has an edge as far as three-point shooting. They're making over 16 a game, Denver under 13. Uh, but Boston's big Achilles heel in the series against Atlanta has been 
the offensive rebounding that they've permitted Atlanta to do. Uh, Boston is allowing Atlanta to get almost 14 offensive rebounds a game, which is number 15 out of 16 teams in the playoffs. That won't do it in upcoming rounds. They can overwhelm Atlanta with talent. But if they allow that kind of a rebounding disadvantage, they're not going to be uh, that uh, that effective. Uh, I would say Boston's depth is a little bit better than Denver. Denver, their key reserves are Bruce Brown and Jeff Green and a little bit of Christian Braun. Boston's are, you know, Time Lord and Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, you know, and, and I don't know who Denver has after that. So what I would say is in sizing these teams up, they've both been impressive. But based on depth, I think Boston has a slight edge. They barely used Grant Williams and Sam Hauser. Those guys will play in the next series. Uh, and uh, Denver, I don't know, Ish Smith, DeAndre Jordan, Reggie Jackson, Zeke Nanaji. Not yeah. loving that depth. So I would say if I'm if I'm sizing up these two teams, I'd say Boston's better. All right. World B, what's your take? Uh, all good points. But I think Denver has been more impressive so far. Wow. Uh, I think they're playing a better opponent for starters in uh, Minnesota. Uh, I think they have been – their offense has been clicking to me the way the way it is, shooting at 50% from the field and almost 40% from three-point range on fewer attempts in the Celtics. That's not uh, a surprise. The Celtics are one of the – top teams in the league in terms of percentage of shots that are from three-point range, which makes their percentage even more impressive to shoot that many and shoot such a high percentage. Um, I was really impressed, you know, to go up three, nothing, and you almost pulled it out on Sunday with a ridiculous comeback when everything looked bad to go on a, you know, score 12 in a row, when about what two minutes to go, two and a half to go in the game, and all you need was Joker to hit a free throw, and maybe you close this series out. Um, the one thing that I haven't been impressed with is the Denver defense in spurts really gets uh, bad. <laughs> For lack of, I couldn't think of a better word than that. Bad, um, and it, it got bad in in um, Minnesota. On Sunday, it's been, it got bad in Denver uh, in the game two, I believe, when they gave up like 40 in the second quarter, I think. And it's just, you know, it, they have those spurts, and they're going to, just like Bruce said, you're going to face tougher competition going forward. And they, defense has not been their strong suit this season. But uh, to this point, I think Denver has been the more impressive of the two teams. Although they're about to, they're really, it's not a dramatic difference between the way the two teams have played. They've both been impressive. Yeah, I'm actually going to go with uh, the Boston Celtics here. Obviously, I think if we're think looking at the team as a whole, they got the sixth man of the year in Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, I, I think they're shooting from the outside. Their defense and how their defense leads to offense is something that Denver quite has not quite shown to be on the same level as of now. Of course, they are playing a tougher opponent, so fair point there will be. Uh, but I think overall, I've been more impressed with Boston. I think the fact that, as uh, Bruce pointed out, with Grant Williams and Sam Hauser having not really played uh, this series, next series they're going to have fresh legs. I'm sure those guys will be well prepared to go out there and, uh, you know, not skip a beat. Uh, I think this team really has a, a really good understanding of the rotation, the strategy. Um, and, and from all accounts, it seems like Mike Mazzula is very communicated 
communicative with his players. Um, so everybody's on the same page. And, uh, you know, I think moving forward, the depth of the Boston Celtics is why I think they've been most impressive. But I think everyone raised good points here. Well, but in my defense, by the way, uh, in taking the Nuggets over the Celtics, in my defense, I've been trying to watch the Celtics, but that series to me has gotten so boring, I end up falling asleep. So I haven't seen every game, every minute of their series. The numbers are impressive, though. I'll give them that. Uh, yeah. But they really uh, watching the watching the Atlanta Hawks play with the, with that talent and lack of execution is really it's really tough to watch. And uh, I've been more entertained by watching the Nuggets series. Well, I will say this about Atlanta, though. I'm going to give them some credit. They do play hard. They don't always play smart, but they do play hard. Well, they don't have Marcus Smart, so they can't play smart all the time. Good point. Yeah. And with that, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap up this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you on Friday to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.